welcome to this special ProPass webinar series. We have started a collaboration with ProPass Consortium and are publishing their webinars in podcast format so more people can benefit from their useful content. In short, ProPass is an international research collaboration platform of cohorts using Taiwan accelerometry to explore the effects of physical activity, posture, and sleep patterns on a wide range of health outcomes. Without further ado, let's jump to ProPass webinar. Benefits to the society of doing that in terms of better outcomes. If we, if we did have a population level study, which showed that in a reasonable cohort of patients, people who were monitored like this had better health outcomes because disease was picked up earlier, then that would generate the, the cost effectiveness evidence. Thank you very much. I'm conscious of time right now. So I'll end the session there and I'll hand over now to Manos to lead us into our session, which is our discussion panel. Yes. Thank you very much, uh, Matthew. Uh, so we are coming close to the end of our second day and one of the very exciting uh, sessions, the discussion panel. So what I would like to do is, first of all, have all panelists please spotlight it so that I can see them all on my, myself and the audience can see them on the screen. Andreas is missing. Mark is here. Hi, Mark. Should you do something? I just, no, it's, it's okay. We, you're highlighted. That's the important thing. Uh, so yeah, welcome uh, everyone to the closing session of this event, which we hope you found interesting and stimulating. And I would like to start by asking our panel members, and I will start from the top uh, left-hand side, to briefly introduce themselves. Then I will start with the first question. I will be addressing specific questions to specific panelists. And I would like to remind the audience, we still have nearly 100 people, fantastic. Please post your questions at any time. And I will be picking up questions and I will be directing them to the panel member. If you do want your question to be addressed to a specific pa panel member, please indicate who you are asking. Okay? And without further ado, I would like to start uh, by asking Sari to briefly introduce yourself. And in particular, in those introductions, we would like to, to, to know what are your credentials and your relationship with wearables in general, since the topic of this discussion is the future of wearables. Yes. Thank you, Manos. And hello, everyone. So I'm Sari Stenholm. I work as a professor of public health and epidemiology at the University of Turku in Finland. And I am the PI of the Finnish Retirement Aging Study, so one of the robust cohorts. And uh, in our study, we have collected annual accelerometer data with wrist and board devices, and we are also collecting data with GPS. And, and related to these wearables, we have also previously uh, conducted an RCT study uh, among older adults using polar activity tracker. So we try to see how how we could increase physical activity among those people. Hey, thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Tessa. Hi. Great, can you hear me? Yes. And I'm Tessa. I'm a postdoc at the University of Edinburgh. I have done work with devices in cohort studies, particularly UK Biobank, but I think I'm mainly here because of my work in surveillance 
so population measurement of physical activity. I've done a lot of work within the UK, leading an expert group to discuss various issues, but particularly how to introduce wearables into surveillance in the UK. And I'm now working with the World Health Organization, as Fiona Bull has mentioned earlier, in sort of setting the agenda for future measurements of global levels of physical activity. Uh, thank you, Tessa. We will discuss uh, surveillance certainly during this session. Uh, Aiden, Aiden, we've heard quite a bit about you, your team, your work during these two days, but uh, I think it would be good uh, to introduce, also briefly introduce yourself to uh, those people who perhaps uh, uh, know you. Hello, everyone. Um, so I'm a professor of biomedical informatics at Oxford, um, and we've got a team of about 20 people. We've probably got a very unhealthy obsession with wearables, particularly their use in large-scale studies. So our, I guess, flagship studies are the UK Biobank, and we're interested in genetic analyses of that and epidemiological analyses. And of course, the wonderful thing about UK Biobank is that anyone can use it. So people like Manus and Jason and Tessa then come up with much better ideas than we would come up with at Oxford. Um, so it's an open resource, and I think that's a really good model for other uh, cohort studies in the future. So we're thinking of ways, well, what can we do to make the UK Biobank even better for the risk global research community in future? So really open to ideas on that. And also we've got biobanks uh, in China as well. So be hopefully paper coming out soon on risk form measurements in about 20,000 China Kaduri biobank studies. And we've got a couple of other smaller studies in China and the UK as well. And then finally, I got a huge interest around machine learning of, of essentially phenotyping from device data. So really looking forward to learning lots in this panel discussion. Thank you, Ada. Jason, you're next. Do you mind reintroducing hey, yourself? Yes, thanks, man. So, so I'm a professor of cardiomethical health at the University of Glasgow. So, so, so my work is, is quite broad. I span epidemiology, including some stuff looking at wearable measured physical activity and risk of health outcomes. I also do work on some of the biological mechanisms by which physical activity might be good for you, taking muscle biopsies, things like that. But, but in, in increasingly, I'm interested in interventions and about how we can help support people to become, to become more active, working with wide groups of people, including behavioral scientists. And I think that's where there is, there, there's a gap. And I think that's, there's an opportunity going forward about how we can use devices to help support people to become, become more active in the future. Thank you, Jason. Mark. Hi, Mark. Hi, thanks for the invite. I've really enjoyed the last couple of days or the bits of it that I've been able to join for. And probably a slightly different perspective than the previous panelists. Uh, so I'm a professor of public health at Ulster University where I'm research director in the School of Medicine. and very much work at the applied end. Of, uh, so whilst we do a lot of uh, descriptive epidemiology and also use wearables in uh, health economic evaluations, in the last uh, 20 plus years we've been using wearables the behavioral science framework to support behavior change right across the life course, uh, particularly more recently in older adults. And so whilst we probably started off on the, the very rudimentary forms of, of, of pedometers, that, that's evolved quite considerably. And I agree with Jason around bringing that behavioral science perspective. Um, but I think the other thing that we tried to do is to bring the clinical perspective to, uh, and I was encouraged by Tim's talk around the utility of, of information from wearables in, in, in clinical practice. And that's kind of the, at that end we work. So most of our trials are delivered in uh, what we, what's called primary care, what we call the UK general practice. Thank you, Mark. Andreas. Hi, my name is Andreas Hockman. I'm also part of Tropas and I've been working with respect to wearables for a long time. I'm particularly interested in uh, physical activity and occupational health. And I think one of the Perhaps the unique thing here is that I'm working a lot with organizations and workplaces 
will provide information for variables, not to the individual for behavior change, but to the organization. So I think that's also something which will be good to cover. So it's not only about the individual, but also structural changes. Thank you. I should also, if, you, if I may add another credential of yours, we heard a lot about Octopus, the software, and you're the originator, you're the, the PI of the original version of Active for the, 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 the source code that Octopus was based. And Andreas is also the part of the leadership group of Propass, the strategic leadership group. Thank you, Andreas. Hi, Stephanie. I hope uh, you didn't have to wake up in the middle of the night. What time is it? <laughs> it's not too bad. It's not too bad. It's, it's quarter to seven now. I was up uh, about 4.30 this morning just to hop on and listen to some before this. So you can see it's a bit dark <laughs> here. So uh, I, I'm in Ottawa, Canada, uh, so a little bit over the pond. Um, and I'm a research scientist in the Center for Surveillance and Applied Research at the Public Health Agency of Canada. And I also wear a hat in terms of being an adjunct professor at the School of Epidemiology and Public Health at the University of Ottawa. So I think I come to this panel currently in my surveillance role. So at the Public Health Agency of Canada, we do do surveillance on physical activity, sedentary behavior, and sleep. And we use accelerometers using the Canadian Health Measures Survey, which is similar to the NHANES in the United States. So I use a lot of accelerometry data to do population level surveillance and research. But in my previous lifetime, I was a postdoctoral fellow for about six years at the University of Ottawa Heart Institute. And when I was there, I used wearables a lot in cardiovascular disease populations and rehabilitation settings. So I, it was very good to hear Tim's talk before because it brought back some memories from my postdoc days and definitely using wearables from a sedentary behavior intervention perspective. And now I'm, I, I'm shifting more over to built environment and physical activity in, in my work at the agency. And so I'm really interested in the idea of GPS alongside wearables as well. Thank you, Stephanie. Okay. So we have, a we have a really very rounded expertise, which is very important for this panel because I would like us to cover technology, interventions, healthcare, as well as epidemiological cohort studies, which is core business for PROPAS. And I would like to start uh, by uh, asking you a question about technology. So triaxial accelerometers are essentially technology of 2007, 8, 9, around that time. They're extremely standard technology. If you pick up the average cohort study and sometimes the average intervention that uses research-grade wearables, they are still using a device that has a single accelerometric sensor. On the other hand, as we know, the consumer wearables have six, five, six sensors as standard. And I would like to, add, to, to ask Aidan, how do you think, Aidan, the field can move forward to incorporating more sensors because the accelerometry will give us movement, fair enough. However, we need heart rate signal to understand intensity better. We need environmental parameters like altitude, uh, pressure sensors to understand walking on a gradient or stair climbing. How, what's the best way forward to, to move on with the hardware we're using and adapt to 2023, year 2023, in terms of the technology? Well, I think you said it up very nicely, Manos, uh, because maybe we've rested on our laurels a little bit uh, by just relax or just relying on the triaxial accelerometer. Um, and uh, I, I guess maybe if there's not a pull 
or a demand from us as researchers wanting to look at different sensors. I guess there's perhaps no incentive for maybe particular companies then that, that can supply triaxial accelerometry at scale for research studies. But I am hopeful things are, are changing too. I think very nicely laid out the program and, and Rob, I think, quite nicely showed as well that there are many more sensors now. So the one of the latest Google devices now the 10 PPGs channels. So I think from those of us maybe who are custodians or PIs at cohorts, I think we've got to embrace uh, other multimodal sensing devices. Um, if I make up one small example, so with the UK Biobank, we've got a, a, a kind of a smaller study of a, a cardiac monitoring study. So it's a chest war and patch war given to about 35,000 people that will have a triaxial accelerometer, then a, an ECG sensor within that. So it'll be hopefully available 2026 or thereabouts for the global research community. But thinking of future research cohorts, if I was to do a new measurement again and tens of or, or more of thousands of people, I'm actually quite excited by the commercial devices. Perhaps the future model might be uh, using commercial devices. We get that very long within person measurement. And perhaps then we might augment it with maybe random subsamples of that uh, set of people then where we get our kind of our raw comforting uh, uh, triaxial accelerometry plus whatever other sensors might be available at that point. So I, I think we've got to move beyond just the triaxial accelerometer, particularly Thank for you. sleep. So, so to some extent, it's a issue of commercial incentives to man for manufacturers and the client, us, seemingly being happy with what we got so far, uh, resting on our laurels, as you said. Uh, and not actively kind of working with industry to move move forward. Thank you. Uh, I, uh, I would like to remind you all panelists that you can uh, use uh, the Zoom uh, raise. You can raise your hand in Zoom if you want to respond to uh, one of the uh, other panelists. So I can see Andreas that you raised your hand physically previously. So I'd like you to respond to Aiden or add to Aiden's response. Yeah, so I, I very much agree. And I, I think also respect to which amount of sensors and so on to use, I think it's also about the expression about which information we are interested in. I think more and more of us are agreeing upon that it's not only about energy expenditure, but it's also about sleep and fatigue and all kinds of, of things which we, we really want to have information, which is for sure is uh, certainly is important for health. Um, for instance, temperature sensors, I think for sure that uh, the inbuilt separator sensors and oximeters will be used a lot. Um, but I think in the end, right, it's, uh, it's about making sure that we have the sufficient information respect to getting the best valid estimates. But I also think it's been a brilliant discussion previously today about, well, but is it, isn't it as, as important to have information which we can then use for individuals, for organizations to make behavioral changes? But if they have a mobile phone, which they're going to use for counting the steps, then we need to have measures which are very much aligned with that. So I think it's, I think we need it for several purposes, right? Which is expand, really expand which type of signals, measurements, devices you want to use. Thank you, Andreas. So we should not be thinking only about the physical behavior side of things, but Extra sensors can give us, can enrich our, our studies, can enrich our interventions by collecting health outcomes data as well to, yeah, perfect. That makes perfect sense. Jason. 
Yeah. So I, I agree with everything that's said so far. So if we have heart rate or if we have uh, barometers to measure sort of changes in, in going up hills, that's really, really important. That's kind of an incremental change. So we can kind of broadly get how hard people are working and we can do it a little bit better. So for me, there's an opportunity for a step change, which is to get contextual information about what people are doing. Because at the moment, the questionnaire tells you occupational, physical activity or home-based. So things like integrating GPS or cameras to see what people are doing, I think will be a, a step change in the type of qualitative information that we can get so we can understand what people are doing, but also the context, are they moving inside or outside? I've spoken to Tim about one thing that's really helpful for him is to understand whether people are leaving the house or not, because when people get sick, they don't leave the house. So understanding whether they're actually moving away from where they live is important. So I think there's, there's an opportunity there that has a huge, huge other challenges around privacy if you're measuring where people are. And I think that's something that I think might be an aspiration. I'm not sure how easy it is to do. I can kind of ask the questions. I don't know how to make it work. Uh, so it's not only about extrasensors, it's about all that contextual information, you measuring environmental parameters, perhaps, and domain of, of where the activity happens in particular, which will be a major enabler for setting up interventions, can inform interventions, and uh, towards the goal that Andreas uh, alluded to, which is behavioral change in the population. That, at the end of the day, that's why we're collecting all this data. That's why we're doing all these uh, studies. Uh, Thank you. I would like to some, somehow, uh, I, I, I mentioned before that I would like to cover surveillance. I'm very keen to cover surveillance, considering that uh, Fiona Ball from WHO, uh, the head of WHO's uh, physical activity unit, shared the news that WHO is reviewing uh, its uh, measurement, its global surveillance and physical activity measurement. And uh, so we have super duper technology on one hand, consumer wearables, we have okay technology, research-grade wearables, which are improving and will improve in the future. When we think about surveillance, whether that's national surveillance that Stephanie has been working on, or that's global surveillance that WHO will hopefully facilitate using wearables, we need to be thinking about representative samples. We need to be thinking about there are many requirements that come with global surveillance, uh, sufficient numbers, devices that are um, not going to change in the next year because surveillance is always a long-term pursuit. So Tessa, how should we go on about switching from questionnaire-based surveillance to wearables-based surveillance? Is it possible at all? Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's absolutely possible. And I think a number of countries, including Canada, have shown that it's possible. I think the trick here is well, as you said, surveillance is different from a lot of EPI cohort studies, particularly around the representativeness. And I think it needs to be acknowledged that a lot of the learning we have from EPI cohort can be applied to surveillance, but not everything. And we do need to acknowledge there are differences in terms of what would be the optimal device or method and all of that. I think the other thing to think about is that whilst Canada and other countries have shown it can be done, I think if we're thinking at a global level, and I see it as a real opportunity at this point in time to introduce a sort of a way of collecting data that's standardized, harmonizable across countries in a way that self-report has never really been, then we need to think about the applicability to all populations in terms of can, can these devices be used in the, within national survey infrastructure, but then also all these algorithms we're talking about. Are they based on, sample, you know, where are they being derived from? Do they apply to all populations? 
So I think there are a lot of challenges, but I think we can always delay. We, we keep talking about what's coming up in the future and we could always say, you know, we'll just wait for this to happen, we'll wait for the next technology. And I don't think that's realistic. I think we need to address it now. We just need to think, be future-proof. And I think one of the ways um, I think we're currently thinking of doing, um, which I think has been briefly mentioned today, but I want to um, acknowledge Dale Esliger from Loughborough, who, um, when I was working on the UK guidelines, um, really um, emphasised the point to me about um, I think what we probably need to do is develop standards. We need to um, develop all the, the things that might affect the ultimate estimate of physical activity. We need to say, well, this is what our standard is. And so then devices can try and meet that standard. And it doesn't matter whether they're research grade or commercial devices. If we've got a standard in a, way, a similar way to other measurements like blood pressure are, are measured. So I think that's probably one way forward. It might not be the only one, but I think that's one way to think about the future. Uh, thank you. Sari and then uh, Stephanie. Thanks. Yeah, I, I think Tessa had a really, really good point. And I was also thinking like when we are talking about this health server surveillance, it means that we are examining the trends. And, and there comes the tricky part that we, if our devices and the algorithms change all the time. So how, how do we know what is actual change or what is, what is because of the methodology that we are using? So, so I think that that is something that we really need to solve also. And, and it's part of the standards that there's some mention. It's not only standards, how to collect the data, but how to really make them comparable across time. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes. So be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.